Hello, my little strangelings. On this podcast, I discuss the world's folklore, myths, legends, and superstitions. I explore what these stories meant to the cultures that shared them, the different uses of lore in our modern-day entertainment, and the history of it all. Welcome to Folklore Friday. Have you ever heard the phrase, the green-eyed monster, in referring to jealousy? Most attribute this phrase from William Shakespeare's famous play, Othello, written in 1604. It is a story that is wrought with jealousy. Othello's best friend, Iago, the ultimate homewrecker, manipulates Othello so successfully that he believes his wife has been unfaithful. In his treachery, Iago uses the phrase to describe jealousy. Oh, beware, my lord of jealousy. It is the green-eyed monster which doth mock the meat it feeds on. This is the most common accepted origin of this phrase. However, Shakespeare used a phrase very similar to this in an earlier play titled The Merchant of Venice written in 1596. The character Portia has a soliloquy that goes like this. How all the other passions fleet to air, as doubtful thought and rash embrace despair, and shuddering fear and green-eyed jealousy. O love, be moderate, allay thy ecstasy. It's possible that Shakespeare was inspired by a belief that some held that jealousy was accompanied by an overproduction of bile, lending a yellowish-green pallor to the jealous individual's complexion. Another theory is that he may have been inspired by a poet named Sappho. In 17th century BC, she used the word green to describe the face of a stricken lover. After that, it was used by other poets and writers. So which is it? Was Shakespeare inspired by a belief that having jealousy could turn someone green? Or was he simply borrowing from an idea from past poets? Tell me, what do you think? Hello, my little strangelings. I'm your host, Megan. And we made a decision to officially make Chris, my husband, my co-host. I am so very honored. (laughs) Because as I kept looking at it, I realized, I was like, oh, about like half of this. And now it's turning more into like 75% of it is me and Chris. I I mean, you know, write a review and a complaint about it. (laughs) But otherwise, you're probably going to hear from me quite a bit yeah 
And we're actually trying something new this time and for a lot of the podcasts that we're going to do in the future. And by podcasts, I mean episodes. And we're trying a new format that we've never tried before to kind of involve Chris more. So instead, what we used to do was I would research everything and then I would give him or whoever guests were, depending on the topic, like, here, you read this and then we'll talk about it. And it was just me giving people what things they were going to read. But instead, now we're taking a topic and we're splitting it up. I will talk about one portion of it and Chris will talk about the other. Indeed. (laughs) That way, information will be more of a surprise to both of us as well. We're trying to get that natural reaction. Yeah. And... I'm just excited because I love this podcast. I love it. Do I love all the work that goes into it? I mean, does anybody (laughs) like doing hard work? And so Chris was the one that offered and said, hey, can I actually be more involved and help you out? And you guys, I almost cried. It was just a very nice offer. (laughs) I get stressed out doing it a lot by my lonesome. On that note, we are an independent podcast. We have zero sponsors. We have zero help. It's just a one-woman show, and now her husband. So if you could leave us a review, that would be super awesome on any podcast app that you're listening to it. I haven't found an option on iHeartRadio, so I don't know about that. But you could also go onto iTunes and leave a review that way. Or you can just text a friend. Be like, hey, I remember that you liked The X-Files, or you liked Grimm, or you liked any number of things like that, you might like this podcast. Or basically just share it with everyone. Make sure you're (laughs) following and that you get everyone else to do that as well. Yeah. And if you're not following me on Instagram, if you're an Instagram user, check it out because I put a lot of work into it and I'm super proud of it. And the things that we talk about in the episodes, I will put on Instagram so that you can see a little bit of imagery of of what we're talking about. Okay. Oh my goodness. Okay. Here's a topic we're talking about today. And it is, who is it, Chris? Ed and Lorraine Warren, paranormal investigators. Yes. And you might be familiar with them if you have heard of or have seen The Conjuring. The Conjuring Universe, we will call it, because it's a number of movies now. Which I think it's still going strong, which is good because I like them all. Yeah. I was was just going to say, I think it's a smart, smart idea. So, Chris and I are going to reference a little bit about the movies and some of the differences and the next episode that we're doing after this we haven't quite decided which one we're going to review but we're going to review a movie from the conjuring universe and i'm excited about that i'm thinking maybe annabelle creation because i haven't seen that one yet and it looks pretty good yes i would agree okay so first oh my gosh this is so exciting chris is gonna teach me about ed and lorraine warren and this is nice i'm excited all right, sweet love of mine, take it away. So, Ed and Lorraine Warren are these paranormal investigators, at least self-proclaimed. And this is what all of the Conjuring universe is based off of their exploits and investigations into the paranormal. Ed and Lorraine Warren are, were American paranormal investigators and authors associated with uh, prominent cases of alleged hauntings. Edward was a self-taught and self-professed demonologist, author, and lecturer, and Lorraine professed to be a clairvoyant and light trance medium who worked closely with her husband. In 1952, the Warrens founded the New England Society for Psychic Research, otherwise known as NESPR. I'm not sure how they say it, but it's a little NESPR. 
maybe. Uh, NESPR. Yeah, NESPR, the New England Society for Psychic Research. This is a ghost hunting group in New England. Uh, they authored many books about the paranormal and about their private investigations into various reports and paranormal, paranormal activity. They claim to have investigated well over 10,000 cases during their career. That's right. Well over 10,000 cases during their career. Does it, do you know how long they were, quote unquote, working in this realm? Uh, and since what time? Yeah, like 10,000 cases over 20 years, over... I think it was longer than that. I think I didn't get that one. So, yeah, they started uh, back in the 60s, and they pretty much kept it going almost nonstop until Ed's death in August 23rd, 2006. And Lorraine passed away uh, April 18th, 2019. Mm -hmm. R.I.P. Ed and Lorraine. Mm -hmm. So Ed and Lorraine Warren were members of the Roman Catholic Church. They got married in 1945. And on January 11th, 1946, Lorraine gave birth to their daughter named Judy Warren. The Warren held that demonic forces are likely to possess those who lack faith. So they're strong believers oh. in the Catholic Church. Is it? I mean, okay, this is an unresearched opinion. I'll look it up later. But I thought according to catholic beliefs they target those who are actually catholic demons and possession i don't think that they held that same belief okay <laughs> it <laughs> didn't seem to matter okay. that if you were not strongly following something then they would uh, get you get you it seems like according to them interesting okay so, Ed and Lorraine Warren's paranormal investigations served as inspiration behind one of the most iconic horror movie franchises, and that's the Conjuring franchise series, which uh, began back in 2013 with the release of The Conjuring and earned more than $300 million at the box office. That's good. Since then, the series has expanded to include the films The Conjuring 2, Annabelle, Annabelle Creation, Annabelle Comes Home, The Nun, The Curse of La Lorraine and more films uh, in production, including the most recent, which is The Conjuring 3, The Devil Made Me Do It. All of those Conjuring movies are based off of, including Annabelle, investigations that the Warrens actually had. Now, based <laughs> is key there because it's loosely based. It's not every single moment was happening in it. Some of the most prominent investigations that they had include Annabelle, which is a haunted doll and the Amityville horror, which is a haunted house. And uh, there's more going on there about potential murders. The Einfeld Poltergeist, which is The Conjuring 2. That's the one about the family in the UK? That is correct. Arnie Johnson, which is The Conjuring 3, The Devil Made Me Do It. Arnie Johnson mm -hmm. murdered his landlord and claimed that the devil had possessed him and made him do it. Oh, there's so the scary. Sendecker House, the Smurl family. And Union Cemetery, and uh, we won't go into detail in all of those. I'll just give you some more stuff mm -hmm. on Ed and Lorraine Warren. So now Ed was in the Navy, uh, and he had a near-death experience while serving in the Navy in World War II. Ed entered the Navy on his 17th birthday. A few months later, the ship that Ed was on collided with an oil tanker in the North Atlantic. A fire erupted, and all the men had to jump ship 
and uh, go overboard. As Ed was in the icy water, he prayed for help and was soon rescued. After that experience, he returned home and asked Lorraine to marry him. Aww, that's morbidly sweet. <laughs> yeah, so that wasn't just the first kind of experience that Ed or Lorraine had. Uh, they both had sort of encounters young with the paranormal, as they claim. As a boy, Ed grew up in the house he believed was haunted. Lorraine began to notice her clairvoyant abilities at a young age as well. As a child, Ed recalled doors opening on their own and strange lights starting to form in his house. Lorraine recalled her first experiences around nine years old. She remembered seeing auras around people, but assumed that this was normal and that everyone actually saw these. Uh, she soon found out that that was not true. Just, but she was never committed or anything, it sounds no, like. Oh, that's no, no. So maybe she didn't see ghosts and very specific, I see dead people type stuff. Yeah, a lot of what it seems that Lorraine Warren uh, had encountered with as a clairvoyant was deep feelings about things, auras around people and objects, and this unsettling feelings that she would get about things. So like if so something maybe was not, wrong or something, she would get right, an inclination. Right, or that, you know, some some sort of evil was present here and maybe not as intense as actually seeing some of the things that the Lorraine Warren would see in the Conjuring movies themselves. Like the woman hanging from the tree. Correct. And, oh, I see this nasty lady gripping onto your, your kids. Okay. So in order to do their investigations or really start to get into it, something interesting here was that uh, Ed Warren was a fine arts painter, something that does get touched on in the movie franchises as well. The couple used his painting skills as a way to gain entry into houses they wanted to investigate. Huh. So, so like, look at my painting. Can I come in and tell you your house exactly. is haunted? They would research houses <laughs> they believed to be haunted, then drive to the house. <laughs> After Ed painted the house, he would hand the painting to Lorraine. She would knock on the door mm. and offer the homeowners the painting as their ticket into the house oh my god yeah oh my god marketing in the 60s yeah, good way to just oh, get, get right in there man. so once she once lorraine struck up a conversation with the homeowner they would then learn more about the property and the hauntings and this was the process of how they uh, began to do their investigations and what really started off on their career Oh my God, I'm so glad you didn't tell me that until right now so you could get my reaction. That is insane. What? Okay. What a smart couple. <laughs> hey, babe, what do you want to do today? Um, I'm thinking we should drive around and uh, just like pick which houses we think are haunted. Well, I don't, they didn't pick which houses. They would, they would do research and see if maybe oh, there okay, was okay. something, if there was a haunting to them and then paint the house and kind of find their way in so they could go and get more information instead of just, you know, cold knocking they had a nice painting to offer up okay so this is before they were known right so yeah. this actually, is how they got started that's actually really smart i'm not yeah, gonna lie that's a no. smart idea so the warrens did actually in of their ten thousand cases so they funny. they did try to rule out all logical or physical explanations before agreeing to mm. take a case they did not just take anyone's word when they said they were experiencing paranormal activity. Ed would go to the scene and use every avenue available to him to rule out all logical explanations before moving forward 
with the case. Okay. So kind of like in the movie, The Conjuring, which is the only one I've seen so far, they show that kind of montage of them at the beginning. Right. Like, oh, it's a, you got a leaky pipe or there's, there's a hole in the wall and there's wind. And so that was accurate. Right. Sounds yes. Like. So there were some, I guess they wouldn't, didn't even turn into cases because they wouldn't take them. They would go and investigate and they would try to make sure that it wasn't just some other logical explanation going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably for their own, uh, what's the word? Uh, yeah, just probably just so that they also would not look like frauds just going after anything. That's true. So the first case for them that garnered media attention in their hometown of Bridgeport, Connecticut, 1974. And this was more than 20 years after Ed and Lorraine began their work in the paranormal. So for 20 years, they were pretty not well known. Um, The Warren's family friend and psychic Mary Pascarella contacted them and informed the, the Warrens of the paranormal activity at the local Bridgeport residents, Jerry and Laura Gooden, were experiencing. Once the news got out about the poltergeist affecting the house on Lindley Street, crowds began to form outside the house. <laughs> so this was the first case where the Warrens experienced such a large media presence uh, that when they tried to conduct their work and really started to get some attention. That's cool. As I said, Ed and Lorraine were both devout Roman Catholics and Ed eventually was recognized as the only Catholic lay expert on demonology. So he had no uh, setting or position in the church, and he was one of the only recognized experts in demonology outside of that. So he didn't go to any type of seminary or things like that. He was no, just a self-taught guy. Exactly. So, and he didn't have any oh. kind of set role, you know, a priest or le- a level inside the church. That makes this more kind sense of now Catholic to me. layperson. Okay. So the devout faith included an inherent belief in the supernatural and the world beyond. And the Warrens worked closely with the Catholic Church during multiple exorcisms, uh, and their faith played an important part in their investigations. So believing in these things, they believe that they were based off of you know a lot of their own Catholic beliefs mm-hmm. and would follow those paths. So Ed and Lorraine gained popularity in the mainstream media and even appeared on popular television shows, including the Merv Griffin show, the Tom Snyder show, A Haunting, and The Scariest Places on Earth, and went on a number of other different talk shows. And their notoriety grew and the Warrens expanded their audiences through media appearances, speaking engagements, and college lecture tours all in an attempt to prove that the devil was real. So the Warrens continued to make television appearances throughout their career, and Lorraine even had a cameo in The Conjuring. She did? She did. I don't remember that part. (laughs) I'm going to find it on YouTube, and I'll put a clip in the show notes. Well, the Warrens gained popularity. They also gained critics. In an effort to prove her abilities were not faked, Lorraine underwent scientific testing by parapsychologists at UCLA. What a weird job. (laughs) Yeah, the team of scientists that examined Lorraine was led by Dr. Thelma Moss. After extensive studies, they determined that Lorraine was a light trance medium. Huh. Whatever Whatever that that might mean for them. Interesting. Okay. So, as I said, over time, Ed Lorraine Warren gained a lot of criticism 
to their work. Uh, so a interview with the Connecticut Post, Steve Novella and Perry DeAngelis investigated the Warrens for the New England Skeptic Society, Ness. They found just kidding. (laughs) They found the couple to be pleasant people, but their claims of demons and ghosts to be at best as tellers of meaningless ghost stories and at worst dangerous frauds. That's scathing. They took the $13 tour and looked at the evidence in the Warrens had for for ghosts and spirits. And uh, they watched videos and looked at the best evidence the Warrens had. Their conclusion is that it's all blarney. Blarney. Blarney was the word they used for it. That's great. They found common errors with the flash photography and nothing evil in the artifacts the Warrens had collected. They have a ton of fish stories. Like the big fish, oh, right? Like it was this big. Right. Okay. They have a ton of fish stories about evidence that got away and they're not doing good scientific investigation. They have a predetermined cl- conclusion, which they adhere to literally and religiously, according to Steve Novella. Lorraine Warren said the problem with Perry and Steve is that they don't base anything on God. Uh, Novella responded, it takes work to do solid critical thinking, to actually employ your intellectual faculties and come to a conclusion that actually reflects reality. That's what scientists do every day. And that's what skeptics advocate. Okay. So this makes sense. Most skeptics are going to be skeptical. And most people that are people of faith are going to lean more on the faithful side. Right. Yeah. They're seeing... And it's, they're starting to see what they want to see is what these critics were saying because right. of their religious feelings towards it. Mm-hmm. I do think that it is possible that someone of faith like myself, however, it is possible for someone that of faith to also be skeptical of other faithful people. So that's kind of maybe a good middle ground person that isn't completely bias on both sides to kind of step in and go, well, you know. So the Warrens wrote a number of books, six of them uh, total that were uh, based off of some of the events and cases that they had. Uh, book one is called Graveyard. Uh, it's said to be more terrifying than Stephen King because it's true. <laughs> book <Sorry>. two, <laughs> Ghost Hunters, true stories from the world's most famous demonologist the warrens he called himself that yeah yeah i think <laughs> they they also had people Sorry. help them write these so maybe it's coming okay. from them a little bit okay uh the haunted one family's nightmare uh, in a dark place werewolf a true story of demonic possession and satan's harvest good titles now though these books did all right one of the most famous books for them was written entirely by someone else and it uh, went over a number of their cases and this was written by gerard brittle and he wrote the demonologist the extraordinary career of ed and lorraine warren and this was billed as a hundred percent factual biography of the warrens and several of their most high profile cases including the possessed doll known as annabelle the Am- amneville horror uh, and their investigation at west point are covered by this New York Times bestseller. Hmm. So for the more than 30 years, uh, Gerard Brittle and the Warrens were steadfast that this book, The Demonologist, was nonfiction, meaning it's entirely true, that it's all 
on point true events and that these forces are eternal and exist today and the fairy tale is true is is what ed would say to this according to the warrens demonic beings could attack at any time and people had to be extremely careful not to invite these forces into their lives else they would suffer dire consequences hmm. i don't remember hearing any um demons in fairy tales just gonna point that out there ed it's more like dragons and monsters but okay so for years the general public took them very seriously uh, they always had their detractors and skeptics of course but they struck many as serious professionals something brittle's book only emphasized but then following ed warren's death in 2006 people began to recant their original testimonies do you think they waited till after he died yes i do oh but what about because they did so Lorraine uh, was around after for ed died families stepped forward to claim that ed had even paid them <gasps> to lie no so while investigations into several of the warren's cases such as the einfield polter- poltergeist in london which is the conjuring 2 uh, revealed the pair had been far less instrumental in the events than they claimed <laughs> oh my god <gasps> tell me more so even their biggest claim to fame, which is the Amityville Horror, which really skyrocketed them into uh, you know, top demonologist fame, has been thoroughly debunked. According to lawyer William Weber in 1979, the events of Amityville were completely fabricated by him, author Jay Anson, and the Lutz family over many, I quote, bottles of wine oh no all as a means to recoup the family's losses in their unwise investment which family the 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 lutz family the lutz family right. so they they who made money as the well Amy, yeah part of the amy mill or how did they make money just like we'll interview you or I'm, book know, sales I'm, I'm not even 100 how people make money from from wow. wallies from, from a claiming a haunting a hoax i guess from being on this talk show or that one or people asking you paying you to be here or you selling a book about it and getting some sort of claim to it just get a nine to five man just that sounds not worth it and spread out over time right Ugh, that's terrible. so the reputation and the career the warrens had built uh was legitimate insisted lorraine still alive oh, at this no. time they had never charged for their services uh, barring travel expenses and incidentals of course and their primary goal was to collect scientific evidence of the paranormal while helping desperate people. Oh, I can't buy that. How are they making money? It's not like the church was paying them. Well, I You do I have to know. pay $13 to go into the occult museum. So <laughs> right. there's that. I mean, I'm there's sure that that. that price has gone up over time. Yeah. I mean, $13 now is pretty different than what it may have been, what, in the, the, the 70s? Right. How much do they make an hour? So $5 in a sense, their cases are still moving forward with the conjuring universe. Uh, they're making movies. One was just released this year, 2021. Uh, and based off of one of their more famous cases, the devil made me do it. Mm. And with Lorraine's passing in 2019, who knows if maybe some more people might step forward. But really, it's clouded oh. in a veil of mystery of how much 
this is all true or not and what was or what may have been for the Warrens. Oh my god. Who for a long, long time (sighs) considered very real, legitimate, professional demonologists. And like I said, Ed was uh, and like I said, Ed was the only non-ordained demonologist recognized by the Catholic Church. I mean, that says something. That says that the church trusted him. Yeah, they had some faith in him and certainly right. their own faith in the Catholic Church, you know, fed into that. So so that's saying something. You know, it's it really comes down to who's to say, who knows? Maybe, right. maybe some of it's made up. Maybe some of it's not. Maybe it's all hooey. <laughs> I don't know. It's always Poor hard to brain. tell. It's always hard to tell with all of this type of stuff. Right. Uh, but there you are. There's uh, at least a, a somewhat dedicated history of Ed and Lorraine. Right. Certainly a lot more there. 10,000 cases if you really want to get into their bit. stuff. There's a lot of information to be had. But that gives you a general idea what mm-hmm. all these people were about. And a couple of surprises there for you. Yeah, that was great. The paintings. Yep, that was painter. amazing to me. That was a really great reveal. And I mean, I I am here and there on whether or not I believe that they had true gifts to do this. But one thing I will say, I feel super bad for Lorraine that she just had to live without Ed and people decided to come forward after he dies, which I know is common. That sucks. I mean, that sucks. However, whatever happened, that was her husband. And I do feel bad that that happened. <laughs> and something to be said sad. about... Gerard Brittle and uh, who wrote the demonologist uh-huh. that I was holding on to this one as a special little card is that when those movies started to come out, he could not claim any money towards them oh. because they were all just true events. You can't claim to these rights of a storyteller if it's just true events and you're just pulling from those and you're creating you're conjuring movies from that. So he, he, he couldn't started, gain anything from right, it. Then he made the claim that they were fabricated. So that he could make money? So that he could make money off of them. Oh, what a and dick. would have rights to them as well, since he wrote The Demonologist and uh, detailed some of these cases that are being used in the wow. Conjuring Universe movies. So when it, what does it all really come down to? It seems like money. Money. Exactly. Money, 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 money. So Did who knows if he's now doing that because he's he wants to say that they're fake so that he can start getting money, or yeah. if he's really coming forward and being like, yeah, you know what, it was all made up. Um, either way, he's trying to get the money. Either way, either way, uh, he's lying about yeah. something. That is. And there was a court case interesting about it about between about him. Warner, Warner Brothers and him and the rights <laughs> to these. Movies that happened in uh, 2017. Either way, he's digging himself a hole. Man, right. it would have been great to see Oprah interview these people. <laughs> I could look up, see if that ever happened. Well, some people say that this never happened. <laughs> oh, man, that would be such a great interview. Ah, uh, too bad that's never going to happen. Well, babe, thank you. That was a lot. Yeah, there's a lot there, and there's a lot more. But uh, give you a little something, a little, a little taste of what Ed and Maureen Warren are all about. Yeah, that was a good overview. Demonologist extraordinaire. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay. So now I'm going to talk about the Warren Occult Museum. 
And if you want a little bit of visual on this, I've included a YouTube clip. Well, it's not a clip. It's like it's like half an hour long, but it walks you through the the museum that is in their basement. Right. So with, with Ed walking you through. Yes. Yes. The real so, thing. And, Ed and, himself. Knows. Yeah, and an explanation of a lot of the objects in there by Ed. So so it's worth checking out. You it's should check it out. Um, also, something that you might notice about some of my episodes is I used to include sound clips of TV shows, movies, and I would include a clip of this, but I have discovered that in the podcast realm, that's kind of a no-no. So I don't want to demonetize myself, even though I'm not making any money right now. I want to in the future. So unfortunately, I won't be including those anymore, but I am going to start making YouTube videos. So I'm going to try to do like a 10 minute video where I talk about certain objects and it's more of a visual experience. The Warren Occult Museum was in the basement of the Warren's home in Monroe, Connecticut. Open since 1952 when the Warrens founded the New England Society for Psychic Research, which is what you exactly said, but you had the little Nespar. Nespar. I like to call it Nespar. Nespar. I like it. The ever-expanding collection of knickknacks and artifacts that had been touched by evil is kept in the basement of their own home. The museum was shut down due to zoning laws in 2018, and that would be a year before Lorraine passed away. And I just recently found out what zoning laws are, <laughs> but I'm going to let Chris explain it because he does it better. Well, in essence, you can't <laughs> have certain things in certain areas because of the zoning that's set around them. Usually this differentiates residential and business areas so that you don't have a bunch of businesses inside of residential areas so that we can keep those fairly separate. So zoning laws determine what you what kind of thing you can build where. Yes. And that makes sense because there's so many. Oh, my gosh. Who isn't bombarded on Facebook with, hey, I started a business. Blah, 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 blah. Think about that. But it was in your neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's garage is just a storefront. That would be really annoying. Right. What <laughs> you can run where. Yeah. yeah. We're and not just start putting up water slides everywhere, <laughs> making a water park in the middle of a residential area. Yeah, we have a condo right now, but when we have a house, man, I would be so freaking annoyed if my neighbors just started a business. Oh heck no! I'd be like, no, I made it to suburbia. Don't you f this up for me? <laughs> they should move all the objects. Yeah, so in their home. Could. But that, I, I suppose that's potentially very dangerous. Yeah, I don't know. This whole idea, maybe that they're experts, but to me that. Especially if I worked in this field, I wouldn't want that underneath me. I'm gonna have to edit that out. That would not, I wouldn't be able to sleep well knowing that all these things are together in one spot. Yeah. That's kind of like what happens in one of the movies for the Conjuring universe. It's the Annabelle comes home. That's exactly what happens. All the, just... their little stuff gets loose. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet, but it makes no, me. good. I'm going to make you watch it. I think, well, yeah, I think I want to do a review on that for the next episode. It makes me think of, <laughs> you guys have seen Toy Story. What's his name? Sid, who lives next door and he has all uh -huh. of the, the creepy toys. <laughs> That's my picture. Just them <laughs> coming to life. Okay. So back to the museum. The eccentric collection contains, contains everything from an alleged vampire coffin to a child's tombstone used as a satanic altar. Death curses, demon masks, and psychic photographs, whatever that means, 
line the museum's walls, accented by Halloween stores' bounty of plastic props. This is where Chris and I have a big pickle with this. <laughs> That's Halloween crap. Everywhere, everywhere. Even the guy on the tour that we watched on YouTube. There's a whole room before you go into the museum that's Halloween props. And most of them were gifts. And so it's setting this ambiance. And I I mean, cheapo, big, giant pumpkin, definitely store-bought props everywhere. Yeah, big, giant, plastic, flat, jack-o'-lantern-looking thing, right? Yeah, and it just... I don't know. I don't know, guys. I'm gonna. I'm definitely gonna be a little biased because my opinion's hard to hide on the on the occult museum. Okay, so more some other stuff is the most prevalent item seems to be the cursed Raggedy Ann doll by the name of Annabelle, which is said to have killed a man. Annabelle sits in her glass case, backlit by a haunting red light. Yes, you heard me. Backlit by a haunting red light. Was that necessary or did they just do it so it would look creepier? <laughs> now, we're going to we're going to circle back to Annabelle because we're going to end on that note. But I want to talk about some of the other items in the museum that we thought were notable. OK, so like we said, there's a bunch of Halloween stuff everywhere. And just the way that they, I don't know, dress their basement. It's 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 marketing. They made it to look creepy. It's dim right. lighting. There's red light bulbs in different places. Hardly any lighting at all. Yeah. And every so it looks more creepy because it's poorly lit. And even the writing of their Warren's Occult Museum is purposely in a font that looks like a a horror movie. And and there's moments if you watch the video and where he's trying to make sure the guy doesn't back up or touch things by bumping them. (laughs) And if this if I had any of this stuff and it was it was real. And I believe for oh real that this stuff was haunted and somebody touched it, they were they were totally going to get messed up. Then you got to know that this stuff would be in like <laughs> full on blessed cages, you know, glass li- cases. Li- lined with silver or whatever and salt or whatever is right. going to keep it away. And it's going to be bright as the daylight in there 24 <laughs> seven. You're going to be able to see everything and you're not going to be able to touch a yeah and it's very cluttered it's if you're like a neat freak watching this video is going to make you really uncomfortable because it's extremely chaotic i mean i guess with ten thousand cases you might have collected quite a few things that just start to pile up yeah but just the way that it's put together it looks haphazard it looks chaotic it's actually quite surprising that they were allowed to take people on tours just because it seems like things are going to fall over if you have too many people in there there's no emergency exit i might imagine just it's it's not well done so to give you an idea there's randomly placed ouija boards all over and tarot cards was something that i noticed in multiple different places including on the case where the annabelle doll is kept and one of those cards is the devil card and if you know anything about tarot cards they're not scary (laughs) never they can it's never believed that they can actually curse you or harm you it's more like what is the word i'm thinking of a horoscope tarot cards are more of in the horoscope realm it's like oh these things might happen and maybe these things or these things they're very vague pay attention to this yes and especially with the the devil card 
it is actually a really positive card because it's all about how you are your own. What is the word? The devil card is all about how you're your own worst enemy. It depicts a devil and then it depicts uh, a man and a woman and they both are naked and they have chains around their neck. And what this is supposed to symbolize is that if you look closely, I'm going to put a picture on, on Instagram so you can check it out. The chains are really loose to the point where they could pick up the chain and kind of take it off of their head because it's that loose. The idea of the devil card is whatever issue that you're dealing with, you have the ability to get out of it, whether it be a bad relationship, an addiction, um, a bad job, a bad habit, whatever. You have 100% complete ability to get out. It kind of really doesn't have anything to do with the devil, except in the sense of temptation, as in your temptation. But it's not, ah, something's coming at you. And it just, to me, shows that they are, this was an unresearched, thing that they're like oh devil scary boom i'm gonna put that with annabelle mm -hmm. and they also have other things like voodoo dolls and objects which he referred to mr ed warren as those are used by the black nations black nations of our world yes quite a statement there ed <laughs> i just chris even said did he just say black nations it's like yeah i think he did voodoo gets a bad rep is a religion like any other religion. I'm sure I'll cover that in a future episode. And if you want to know more about Ouija, board, Ouija boards, check out my episode on Ouija boards. Okay, but one of the most notable things, in our opinion, besides Annabelle, is he had a copy... Sorry, I'm sorry. Okay, he had a copy of the Necronomicon. Now, if you're not familiar with this, let me give you a little backstory. So, the Necronomicon also referred to as the Book of the Dead, it is a fictional grimoire appearing in the stories by the horror writer H.P. Lovecraft. It was first mentioned in Lovecraft's 1924 short story, The Hound. And I remember, Chris, you you, you perked up your ears because I think you were in the kitchen and I was like, babe, babe, <laughs> I got to pause this. I got to wait for you to watch this. Yeah, because the Necronomicon came up for me in particular with the movies, The Evil Dead with ash and uh -huh. him fighting against the army of darkness is a particular one where it comes up and you have to say the correct words in order to pick it up Platu verata <laughs> and then you can pick it up and it's yeah it's a made-up book of the dead and i believe ed had a different story about what the he thought the necronomicon that he had in his occult museum was all about yes okay so to the person interviewing them, he said, now this is a very dangerous book. And he called it the Book of Shadows and he had it labeled the Book of Shadows. He said it was a very dangerous book and that it was from medieval times and that it's about conjuring up uh, demons and devils. Right, and, and it's that a anyone book. that would read from this would be uh, in great danger of inviting evil into their lives. Yes. And this was the point when I lost my... <laughs> I was laughing through his whole speech. I had to back it up because it was so unresearched. He was getting everything wrong. First of all, the Necronomicon, as we mentioned, is fictional. So think of something like Harry Potter. You know how they have a class? Ministry or mastery of the dark arts. Let's say somebody made a book like that as a fan fiction Harry Potter. And then somebody went, oh my gosh, it's evil. Or the book, 
fantastical beasts and where to find them. And someone was treating that like it was an actual real thing. That's what you can equate Ed Warren talking about the Necronomicon. That it was, it's completely made up. And I checked it, I checked more into it. And his copy was copyrighted in 1980. They only started making versions of this book in 1977 as novelty, you know, fun things. But he got it as if it was a real thing. He got the name of it wrong, Book of Shadows. The Book of Shadows is not that. That's more of a, a Wicca thing. And that started in the 1940s and is used by Wicca members, not from the medieval times. And gained more popularity in 1970s Book of Shadows, which is just a uh, sort of like a... Uh, let's, see, let's see. It is Book of Shadows is a book containing religious texts and instructions for magical rituals found in the neo-pagan religion of Wicca. Now, to clarify, they don't talk about demons. They don't conjure demons. They don't even have anything to do with the devil, members of Wicca. Just think of them like, like peaceful, hippie tree huggers. That's what Wicca is. Right. So it's just really funny how incorrect this was. Yeah, it made you start to wonder where else he was embellishing stories and adding on to items that he might have gotten from different places and different cases. Right. And, and maybe we're forgetting to bring up, maybe he really did believe that. But what is really unfortunate is that belief was not founded on facts. It was incorrect. And I think that that's a big reason why I kind of started the podcast is because there's a lot of things that people accept without looking into it, especially if it's considered mystical. They just don't want to touch it or go near it. When really a big reason why I started Folklore Friday podcast is to show, well, have you looked into that? Do you just, did you just believe what you were, what you were told on that? Because it might actually be less scary than what you think it is. Ouija boards is a really great example of that. Check out that episode on that. So yes, just like Chris was saying, it, it, it's really hard for me in particular to take everything else that he said seriously because it's just very clear that that was completely unresearched and unfounded. So it's unfortunate. Right. In some, uh, in my research, I uh, found that it, one particular critic, horror author, Ray Garten, uh, he wrote an account of the alleged haunting in the Sendecker family in Southington, Connecticut, and uh, was later called into the question the veracity of the accounts contained in his book, saying the family involved, which was going through some serious problems like alcoholism and drug addiction, could not keep their story straight. And I became very frustrated, and it's hard writing a nonfiction book when all the people involved are telling you different stories. And he later said, of Lorraine, that if she told me the sun would come up tomorrow morning, I'd get a second opinion. Ouch, that is harsh. Well, I think that's speaking to his frustration that he felt trying right. to collect yeah, evidence. This particular investigation didn't seem to add up. Dang. So if we were showing something in our basement about our work and our life, I would be super offended. Chris, if you just like, took the stage and we're the only one talking certainly we have both have things to share about it uh, for sure a lot of back and forth is, is real good there yeah yeah as we mentioned before the most famous item that was in the warren occult museum was the annabelle doll 
The real-life Annabelle story began in 1970 when a 28-year-old nurse received a Raggedy Ann doll as a birthday gift from her mother. The woman started sleeping with the doll, then bringing it to the table to eat with her. Then her roommate and her began to talk with the doll and bring the doll with them on outings. And eventually they felt like the doll was talking to them. So they had a seance and claimed that the doll was possessed by the spirit of a young girl who died before her time. Now, according to the Warrens, the doll was possessed by a demon pretending to be a little girl. And the doll attacked the fiance of one of the roommates when he suggested that they get rid of the doll. And he received seven slashes across his torso, like two across his neck and then the rest across his, his chest and stomach. That is the story of Annabelle. Now, to be clear, I cannot find any names of these roommates or the nurse who had the doll or the fiance. Nothing. I can't find anything of their accounts of I am so and so and this was my doll. And Chris, you couldn't find anything either, right? Right. No, nothing that was clear evidence of the beginnings of the Annabelle and that where they got it from. And even some of the particular critics thinking that, that that was completely fabricated as well. Yes, because the only thing that we have is testimony of the Warrens. We don't have anything of this 28-year-old. We don't even have a name. And honestly, what kind of mom gets her 28-year-old daughter a raggedy and doll. That's a big red flag to me. Many people, like Chris said, many people suggest that they made it all up. And some suggest that they based this case off an episode from The Twilight Zone, which Chris and I watched last night. It was very good. It's titled The Living Doll, The Twilight Zone Season 5, Episode 6. And there's a link in the show notes if you want to watch it on YouTube. Now, it was about a mother and a daughter and um, the daughter's stepdad and the mom got her daughter a doll called Talkie Tina. And that's how it would talk. You know, those interactive dolls and go, I love you and just have these pre-recorded things. And that was what this doll was. Now, this aired November 1st, 1963. And in the story, the mother's name was Annabelle. Oh, <laughs> and the story. What a cranky ding. <laughs> The real-life Annabelle story began in 1968. So the Twilight Zone episode came out in 1963. The Annabelle story of the doll was 1968. The ones the Warrens claim to. Correct. Now, we watched that episode. It was pretty good. Basically, the doll starts talking and saying weird, weird crap to the stepdad. who's kind of this ornery, cranky kind of guy. And she keeps saying stuff like, I'm going to kill you. You better watch your mouth when you're talking to me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm talking Tina and I say what I want. <laughs> but of course, when the mother and the daughter were around, it was just, I'm talking Tina. I love you. And it was, it was, pre- it was, it was pretty creepy. I really liked it. I, I think we're yeah. going to watch more of the Twilight Zone. I mean, talking dolls are always pretty creepy. Yeah. But it was stuff like he would put it in a garbage can and then he would go to check on it and it was gone. He tried lighting it on fire and it wouldn't light on fire. And then it ends with the doll tripping him and him falling down the stairs to his death, breaking his neck. And then the wife finding him and then the the doll is with him and she says, I'm talking Tina and you better be nice to me. Yeah. (laughs) Just like how people better be nice to the Annabelle doll. Yes. Right. Another mm-hmm. coincidence. I think not. 
Yeah, I know. This is, I, I was actually pretty shocked by this. And in the same interview that we mentioned on YouTube, he keeps saying, Ed keeps saying, oh, well, someone came in here and said, do something to me. I dare you. And then that person died in a car accident. And then a similar, and then that person quit the police force. And then that person, blah, 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 blah. There's always some death. Right. Died in a motorcycle accident. I think some teenager mocked Annabelle. But can we find evidence of that? No. Sorry. We cannot. It's all just up to Mr. Ed Warren. So obviously, highly skeptical of the Annabelle doll. But one of the best things (laughs) that I showed Chris was there's this clip of, I think it was on like a Facebook story or something, of them moving the Annabelle doll to a new position and they have gloves on and stuff and everyone's like oh my gosh so scary i'm sorry i just didn't find it scary she's a cute raggedy and doll i just did not find it scary but also if that were the case and you were moving a doll that you think possesses people to you know get harmed or hurt or whatever they like held it close to their freaking body and they said, oh, it, it can't touch your skin. So they put on these big, like, oven mitts and stuff. If that was the case, wouldn't you pick up the doll with your gloved hands and then hold it, like, as far away from your body right. as possible? Yeah. And then move it or get some tongs, throw it in a bag, in a yeah. bucket, and then dump it into its new location? Yeah, gloved hands that are soaked in holy water. Yeah. <laughs> or something. something. Yeah. It was just, it was just not funny. There was also a rumor that hit the internet and it hit the Twitterverse very, very hard that said that Annabelle escaped from the Warren Museum. And it's because somebody went onto Wikipedia and changed it. <laughs> Annabelle escaped. Sorry, it's just funny. So if you look up on just just type in Annabelle escaped and all these Twitter comments will come up and it's people. Oh, my gosh, I couldn't sleep. And there's like a really good one that says I got a horrible feeling at 3 a.m. and I couldn't sleep. Now I know why. <laughs> All right, so good. Oh my god, I love it so much. Uh, so folks, that's what we have for you as far as the Warrens and the Warren Occult Museum. Now I will say whether or not you believe this is completely up to you, but here's some of the facts. But I will say that I like the characters in the conjuring universe and I think it was a great thing to produce. I'm not saying I'm against it. Sure. I don't think it's factual, but it's for sure entertaining. And you know, honestly, I, I'm I'm a pretty big skeptic. But if the if they were doing these investigations and actually were helping people feel better or whatever, get past some preconceived notion of that they were being haunted, if if it was that, or if they were being haunted and they helped them out, then I'm all for that as well. I don't think that the Warrens did any kind of real damage to anything mm-hmm. to. Uh, to say that they you know needed to be stopped at any kind of point so i don't think they that they got so far into that and you know if they were helping people in some way then i'm all for it and if they're inspiring awesome movies then i'm way for that (laughs) the conjuring universe is a great set of different movies i i love them all and they're still going with those and that are just expanding on this base level idea of ed and lorraine warren and they know that they're doing that too. They know they're telling fictional uh, ideas of what happened in their cases and they're expanding on. They're even plugging things in that weren't there at all, like in the Einfield one mm-hmm. uh, in the United Kingdom, which is The Conjuring 2. They put in 
two new creations, the nun and the skinny man. I think that's what he's called into that, that weren't even part of that investigation at all. And it just made the movie that much better. So I'm taking it for that. And, you know, you can kind of take all of this, what they were about. They have a very interesting life. So I'll give them that. They, they yeah. did some pretty unique things. So good on them. Yeah. And from what we've learned, it didn't sound like they were swindling people out of lots and lots of money. Unlike some psychics who will say, oh, I can give you the answer to this problem, but I'm going to need $4,000 or things like that. So I agree with Chris. It's not like yeah. they ever needed to be stopped. They weren't hurting people. It sounds like they may have fabricated some things. You know, making, who knows? making some money off some books and films that were getting made and maybe some uh, film media appearances that they've got some money for and just that kind of collection for it. Fine. Yeah, that's Go fine. People. People can buy whatever books they like and just yeah. get right into it. Oh, I I respect the people and then Lorraine Warren just for that for managing yeah. such a long career that as a demonologist true. and that is remarkable in and itself. I will say so because they were one of the they were the first like people yeah. call them the grandparents of the paranormal. So I mean, like mad respect for that because they created this position themselves because they believed in it and i agree with chris that they're helping people sleep better at night then who cares thank you so much for listening i hope you like the new format chris thank you for joining me oh it's a pleasure because i love you i love you too <laughs> i think this was really good but hey i want to know what you think do you think ed and lorraine warren were legit or not you can message us on Instagram at Folklore Friday Podcast, or you can email me at folklorefriday at gmail, spelt the same way as the name of the podcast. And so then in the next episode, I'll tally it up how many people were true believers of Ed and Lorraine Warren and how many people are weighing in on the skeptical side. And we'll find out those results next time. All right, my little strangelings, thank you for listening, and I hope you join us next time. Thank you. Bye.